Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we discuss the hottest fire news to hit within the last two weeks. I'm your host, Inanna Hankey, and I'm joined today by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. And we have a special guest, organizational psychologist, owner, and principal consultant for FR Strategies, Dr. Andrew Halter. Welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Our topic today is firefighter training. The Illinois Fire Department could get a boost with Firefighter Training Leave of Absence Act. Illinois is facing a shortage of volunteer firefighters, but a new plan from State Senator Patrick Joyce would allow for more people to complete firefighter training. Senate Bill 1611, which is the Firefighter Training Leave of Absence Act, would provide state employees with leave from their job to attend firefighter training courses. So this would allow for more people to gain proper firefighter preparation and become experienced volunteers in their community. So the state is building in leave for its own employees to become trained volunteer firefighters. Is leave for training enough, you think, to support these folks once they get certified? Um, Bob, what's your perspective on this? Well, thank you, Anana, for pitching this this topic. This is another uh, effort that on a very consistent theme that we've been talking about, which is uh, recruitment and retention. Now, this particular article focuses on uh, the volunteer firefighter, but th- this is really about capacity building. This legislature in Illinois is trying to offer additional incentives. I think this is another great effort at trying to really reimagine what volunteer firefighting looks like into the future. In the past, there was you know more jobs that were kind of on the mill, uh, blue collar, working with your hands kind of jobs. The fire alarm goes off out in rural communities and folks leave the mill, go out, fight the fire, come back. Well, we've you know transitioned to a higher incidence of knowledge work. So if you're an insurance agent, it isn't particularly conducive in your line of work to be able to just, you know, up and leave a client when the alarms go off. And so the the approach on how we have this sort of civilian brigade that we bring firefighters on is needed to evolve. Uh, this state legislature is trying to offer some quality incentives to to grow that capacity. It feels a lot to me like a Citizen Corps, like you know, the Medical Reserve Corps became popular, I'd say probably about 15, 20 years ago. We just started to see folks who have different expertise come together to help provide healthcare support. I think that was on the heels of 9-11 and some work under the George Bush Jr. administration. So we started to see energy and effort put into you know, f- folks coming to work together. This is what it feels like to me, Illinois, is wanting to do i think your question to me anana was is it is it going to be enough i don't know that it's enough but i think this is a great start in trying to provide space for folks to get the training now what about the response i kind of missing that piece for at least how this bill was written if i look at it the policy perspective on this is sure you can be trained but are you going to get the support that you need you know this is almost like a national guard for volunteer firefighting I think it's a signal of the times in terms of recruitment uh, challenges that communities are facing. And I think, you know, introducing these additional policy incentives are uh, worthy of exploration, although their efficacy, we're just not quite sure yet. I'm concerned. 
I'm concerned, yes, with the recruitment and the retention piece. But when I look at this from my perspective, it feels a bit like an unfunded mandate. It feels like this could stress out small business who might have these employees who now have to let them go to certain training, but that could negatively impact their business. And from that perspective, I have some questions. I, I would like to know, you know, what were the stakeholders that were in, involved in, in creating this bill? And while I recognize that there's a shortage in maybe drastic times cause for drastic measures, but I, I just wonder what consequence that has on the business community. More than likely, these are rural areas with volunteer fire departments driven by small business. I'm making some assumptions but there is, it is so difficult for firefighters or for volunteer fire departments to find employees. Well, small businesses are struggling as well. And, you know, to keep those limited employees, I think is, is, is going to be a challenge. And, you know, from, from my perspective, that stretches, which is so great, you know, to have Andrew here to, to kind of weigh in on this from an organizational psychology perspective. Yeah. I mean, I just have to think as a business owner, they want to see their community protected, but how do they do it at the expense of their only employee or their one or two employees who are volunteer firefighters without seeing their business suffer? It just seems like there's a lot of stress going on there. And if I could, before Andrew jumps in, Jeff, just a point of clarification, and I kind of opened the door for us to talk about the bill applied broadly to small business. This particular bill is specific to state employees. It provides state employees with leave from their job. So, you know, wouldn't necessarily impact small business, but it's worthy of the discussion. You know, why not? Sure. Um, Jeff, I think you bring up a great point. And whether it was for small business or for state government employees, uh, bureaucratic agencies are having even a more difficult time finding employees today than they were at any point in time. And so, uh, you know, the same can be said for our fire departments who have employees out on FMLA and other leaves. And so to try and accommodate this and still manage the day-to-day -day functions and keep people from perhaps using this as a tool to maybe alleviate things like burnout, uh, which is something that uh, that we are seeing in, in some organizations uh, where folks are taking whatever leave of absence policies do exist uh, in order to take almost like a sabbatical. I don't know that that is something that could really happen in this situation, uh, but it it opens that door. And then these state agencies have to figure out, hey, I'm going to lose somebody for six months now uh, while they go get their fire one and two. Uh, so what, what do I do in the meantime? And how do I plan for that? How do I run uh, a successful organization? Well, and I, I love I love that perspective, Andrew. And geez, from the state government perspective, piggybacking on what you said, wow, are there some difficulties? Uh, in most states, I can I can speak clearly about Nevada. By law, you have to put up a budget to the state tentatively April, and then they finally approve it in June. Well, in that budget, you have to you have to tell them specifically how many full FTEs, full time equivalents, employees. And so now you look at a, a segment of government, a state employee, a small state department where they might only have two or three employees. One or two of those employees go to fill this gap as a volunteer firefighter. Not only are they at a deficit, they can't hire someone for two reasons more than likely. One, because of what I just mentioned on the FTE, 
But how about number two, where there is uh, labor management collective bargaining that also plays a role. So collective bargaining could also impact the situation and prevent the organization from hiring a part-time or some other affiliation. But I, I definitely see some some drawbacks that there's going to be some growing pains here. I have a little different perspective on this. This is already uh, baked into folks who are National Guard. Uh, and you're not wrong. Uh, you're not wrong, Jeff, that the impact of those who, who are serving the country who get orders to go do training and or deploy has an adverse impact to the organizations in Oregon. We're, we're training our national guard to fight fires. You know, so now that same person who's in the national guard may get deployed, you know, and, and the state will accommodate them to go out and, and fight wildfires. But under, you know, a bill like this, maybe, you know, maybe they wouldn't receive the same protection to go out to get trained to, to fight wildfires. Don't know that this is the solution, but I, I sort of see some similarities in, you know, where where does fire, you know, fit in the grand scheme of threats uh, overall to the community? And if if not resolved, if no volunteer firefighters are available, what's the outcome to that? I, again, I don't know what's going on in, in Illinois, but we do know what's going on around the country in terms of shortage of firefighters. Uh, I, I think we have to do something. And uh, th this is you know, their version of something. Absolutely. I have a question for you, Dr. Halter. When an organization provides support for its members to go out and do something that's not related necessarily, like as an employee of the state, perhaps you are more invested in the well-being of your community in general, but... Do you think that it has an impact where folks are given this opportunity to go and it sort of seems like it's a worthy divestment, but a divestment of their time and attention from like the purpose of what their day to day job is like, is that a benefit? Is the diversification of their um, of their skill set a good thing overall? Or does it create kind of this rift where, you know, oh, now my time and attention is being taken up by this other project that I've taken on? Sure, that's a great question. And, and I feel like there might be a couple people, even in a state government the size of Illinois, that are going to take advantage of this program because maybe they have some connection or interest to it. Uh, but I, I don't think that it is a it's going to be this huge wave of folks that are are signing up to become volunteers suddenly. Um, to your point, people people make comparisons, right? And they look at the value that's being provided to them from their employer and what that equation looks like. Is it balanced? Am I, am I giving the same that my employer is giving back to me? Uh, and in this, you know, this looks like we've taken attention to, from whatever that relationship is and put it somewhere else and thought to ourselves like, hey, you know, we're gonna make this um, this policy so you can take a leave because we need volunteer firefighters. And it really doesn't help address any concerns that employees might have related to compensation or time off or workplace flexibility or any of those kind of issues that are very important right now. Um, so it, it if nothing else, uh, it, it doesn't help the employee themselves necessarily and some of the things that they might be looking for from their employer. I don't know how common it is for volunteer firefighters to become career firefighters, but that just came to mind as well, like as a potential way to try out another field while you're still keeping your day job. Sure. And I, I think in the fire service, I think this happens on occasion where folks do this, and I'm sure it happens elsewhere too, 
uh, where folks use any kind of a leave of absence program to go and try something out, um, you know, whether the ethics are there or not, depending on how they're using it. Um, but, but it definitely happens. And if I may put my volunteer firefighter hat on for a little bit, um, I started out as a volunteer in rural Pennsylvania. This would not necessarily be impactful in our neck of the woods because there was only a handful of state employees within so over many hundreds of miles <laughs> of where we were located. And um, the one thing I will say, though, is that uh, the this is a, a twist in a way that it is actually putting the onus back on the state. A, a lot of uh, state legislatures have created policy that puts the onus on the local government and says like, well, you can give your folks a local property tax credit or you can give your folks a other incentives, but it comes out of the pocket of the municipality. Uh, and so here, at least, it's the state trying to say, hey, we as the state are going to try to do something that's helpful. So um, it, in that in that light, it definitely is a um, sort of a positive and something that's a little bit different than the other policies I've seen out there. Dr. Holter, could I, I'd love to ask, you know, coming from your background in organizational psychology and really looking through that lens, how would you advise, I mean, there's, there's definitely multiple sides here, but two different perspectives. Clearly, you're in a state department, and let's just pretend that um, anybody gone from a particular department could put stress on that, uh, on, on the leadership in order to, to make that group still function. And then you have the employee, in this case, who wants to help service their community. They, they want this training. But there's 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 tension that that's created there. And so how would you advise from an organizational psychology standpoint to keep it healthy and to help decision makers and employees themselves maintain that that psychological mental health when there would be clearly some tension there? That's a great question. And I think those organizations within the state are going to have to consider, you know, what their capacity is and. Um, you know, one of the things we can't do is say, okay, so-and-so is leaving, they're going to take this leave of absence, and now we're just going to kind of push all of that person's responsibilities, you know, out from that individual onto other team members, because uh, certainly you will have, um, I think you would have that kind of uh, rift, that that tension or stress that could come from that, and certainly, you know, I feel like in a, in a good team, it's not uncommon for team members to step up and help each other out. Uh, but those are usually in times of need or, you know, what situations that are beyond the control of the individual. Uh, you know, this would be something very elective. And, um, you know, I would hope that any individual in an organization who would be considering something like this uh, would take the time to kind of talk with their manager and, and help them plan out making this happen, uh, as opposed to just kind of coming in on a Tuesday and saying, hey, I'm going to go ahead and take this leave of absence and become a volunteer firefighter. I imagine we're going to revisit firefighter shortages time and time again, because this is a persistent problem. I guess we're fortunate that departments, and in this case, legislatures, are continuing to present new solutions to help and address the issue. So I expect that we'll just continue to talk about it. And it'll be nice to see if there are any really positive results that come out of this or other topics that we visit. But before we wrap up today, Andrew, you recently wrote an op-ed on Fire Rescue One about the reality of generational differences. 
tell the listeners a little bit about what you wanted folks to take away from that article. I was actually tasked with writing about uh, the generational differences, how, how to lead people of different generations. And um, truth be told, even, even with a, an academic background, um, I had attended classes and sessions and things and was kind of bought into the belief that, yeah, people of different generations require different things. And um, in doing research for that article, uh, it's just simply not true. Um, society changes, our circumstances change, and we adapt as people to those conditions. But the members of uh, different generations don't necessarily need unique different things based on that generational label or title. Uh, and in fact, it's kind of just generational stereotyping, uh, just like any other type of uh, stereotype, it's not good uh, to put people into those buckets. Uh, but the one big takeaway that I did come away with in that research was how quickly the labor market is contracting. Uh, it's contracting at the fastest rate since World War II. So that means even faster than during the Vietnam era uh, and the drafts that occurred. So uh, I think it's important for the fire service to realize as they look for their labor market that um, there are multiple forces at work that is making it very difficult for us to recruit uh, firefighters currently. And part of that is, is that there's just, there's not people. There's not people that are coming to work right now. I love that perspective. And it definitely comes to mind for me whenever we talk about volunteering, um, especially with younger people who may or may not have the financial flexibility to do that, essentially, just with the rising cost of housing and everything. Unless you get them really young, you know, as they're coming out of high school and still living at home, it just sounds like quite a squeeze to make that happen for younger folks. In case you missed it, Dr. Andrew Holter is an organizational psychologist and principal consultant for FR Strategies. If you want to ask any questions about our podcast, you can contact us at fireheadlines at wfca.com. If you have a question, if you have insights, we would love to hear from you. Bob, Jeff, it's always a pleasure. Thank you both so much. And thank you to our listeners. And we'll catch you all next week for more Fire Headlines. Fire Headlines.